Hi, everybody. I am Dennis, and I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon. As Peter said, I've been in the program five years, actually about five and a half now. And um, like many people who have been in the 12-step program, I would have to say it is a godsend, and I'm extremely grateful for the changes that it's given me. And uh, it just gave me a totally different perspective on how to look at life uh, compared to all of the things that I've learned in school and church and anywhere else. I qualify for Al-Anon because um, the main re- there are different reasons, and the main one is that I grew up in a home. Uh, my father, when I was a small child, well, throughout all my um, childhood and adolescence, was a very heavy drinker, and he was under a lot of stress, and um, there were a lot of um, mood swings on his part. Uh, when he was drunk, anything could go, and when he was sober, sometimes he was in a rage and uh, very much a control freak. And also, when he was sober, sometimes he could be absolutely wonderful. So with all this range of, uh, you know, things that he showed me, I was um, in a constant mood myself, especially because these were in my development years. My mother is not a, an alcoholic, but she um, well, she would be the Al-Anon candidate. Uh, I could say control freak, uh, very self-righteous, especially through her religion. When she was unhappy, she would react this way. And um, so throughout the childhood uh, and adolescence, I think that I was always experiencing a lot of anger, a lot of fear, a lot of sadness, um, all at the most extreme that those emotions could be. Um, that's, you know, my, I had... I'm the oldest of four children. I have a brother and two sisters, and there would be a lot of rivalry, and things were very intense, and um, sometimes to the point of being very hateful. And uh, I think, you know, this can come from the fact that there wasn't enough love to go around, or it could only go to some people and not to others, and you had to compete for it. And um, in addition to growing up with all of that, uh, there is this business of uh, being gay uh, growing up in small towns. I grew up in one town, a population of 2,000, near Sarnia, and another town of 5,000 between Kingston and Belleville. And so, with all the um, craziness in the family and all the intense feelings, um, I was also dealing with these feelings that I was going through. Now, first, I, um, I always knew I was different from other boys just by the way people were talking to me and reacting to me, you know, boys aren't supposed to do that and all this nonsense. And... <laughs> when um, when I did hit my teenage years and was starting to have these intense feelings, I was totally confused. And when I first heard about homosexuality, um, it was good and it was bad. Now, on the one hand, there was all the homophobia that I would hear about it because of the negative reaction to it. But the good side was that I knew it at least existed and that there were other people like me and that um, I could look forward to a life when I would get out of uh, small-town Ontario and into a city where apparently all this homosexual stuff is going on. (laughs) So, um, I guess there was a lot of endurance during my teen years. Another way that I qualify for Al-Anon is that, uh, now, my father, I, I sometimes say problem drinker or heavy drinker, and from what I know of the definition of a clinical alcoholic, I'm not exactly sure where he is. But on both sides of my family, there were a lot of um, clinical alcoholics. I think a total of five uncles and one aunt. Um, 
Three uncles died of their alcoholism. Uh, one has been sober for about 15 years, and I don't know if he still goes to AA. He might show some what they call the dry drunk symptoms. Uh, I, one other uncle died in an accident, and an aunt is currently uh, so sick. Uh, the doctor said bluntly, if she takes another drop, she will be dead. And within the past year, she has nearly died twice. And uh, I think maybe she's come through some spiritual experiences that have kept her alive. She's very different in how she is with people now. Uh, so, during that period in my teen years, a lot of relatives did die, and... I was very unhappy as a child. Uh, I couldn't relate to the other kids, uh, especially when I was a teenager. And I um, I started to take the religion that I was raised in uh, very seriously. And um, I on people, and I can't speak for everybody, but I can speak for myself and what I've read of other experiences and heard of other experiences, that we tend to get into things and be very intense about them. And so uh, this was, well, the Catholic religion. And... You know what they say about homosexuality, so I had a lot of inner conflict going on, and that was driving me kind of crazy. Um, by the time I eventually did um, leave my parents' home, I went to the University of Waterloo, where I took the math and computer program in the co-op field. And it was, I, I guess, sad because I thought this was where I was going to get all this life. Uh, I, I, I don't know, I somehow, you know, I ended up... As a teenager growing up in the 70s, I emulated that character Mary Richards on TV and um, <laughs> thought, oh, city life just looks so great. And uh, when I got to campus, I heard all these big stories and thought it would be a lot of fun. And it ended up not being that much fun. And I was disappointed in a lot of ways. And maybe because um, like there was a lot of wild heterosexual life, but it seemed that the gay scene was still very closeted and it was very difficult to find people. So I... Um, just like also in my teen years, um, work is another of my compulsions, or, or it was at the time, and uh, I would tend to bury myself in my work. Um, also to mention, although I've never been a, a chemical substance addict or had any experience with that, uh, I kind of have every other kind of addiction, and uh, food was one of them, and in fact it was the first addiction that I got involved in as a kid. Um, with the reaction to the family life and handling things like fear and anger and going to school and all the stress I felt there, I'd really, you know, pile in a lot of food. And um, between the ages of 6 and 12, I, it showed I was quite overweight. And then because of all the reactions from other kids who were horribly cruel about that kind of thing and some adults as well, um, it was a vicious circle because then I would be very emotionally upset about it. And what do I do when I'm emotionally upset? I eat some more and it just kept going and going and going. But by the time I hit puberty, I got tall and I guess the width is proportionate to the height because the habit uh, was still there. But it, it moderated a bit. Um, so in university, um, there, there was a very pivotal point, I think, in the relationship with my parents and seeing how bad it was. Now, this was, I think, the late 70s, and everybody was pretty well rebellious, and I felt kind of out of it because I was such a good little boy. Uh, I had my first work term, and uh, there were a lot of disappointments in that, too, because I thought, oh, I get into the math and accounting program, and it's going to be really interesting, and I'll have this fantastic job. Um, I was put in a corner where I had nothing to do. It was a crown corporation, and these were the days when crown corporations could get away with hiring somebody and not having to do anything. Um, <laughs> but 
But anyway, um, I had some realizations about myself, and that was, um, you know, I might have, I really started to feel an urge and an interest in theater and in acting. And um, this would later be confirmed from uh, tarot card readers, palmists, um, people who could just read me. And it turned out in the future that it was uh, a correct insight about myself. So when I went back to school on the second term, um, with all the disappointment and the depressions, I just couldn't handle the workload. And I was hinting to my parents and everybody else around me of dropping out of this program and getting into something else. It didn't necessarily have to be theater, but just something that I could find more fulfilling because the math and accounting program wasn't doing it. So to ease it a bit, I dropped uh, the calculus and algebra course in the curriculum, thinking I could just pick it up later on. Uh, I guess I could see some of the insane control um, issues in my family. My father just had a fit. He was absolutely convinced in a paranoid way that because I dropped these courses that employers wouldn't hire me. And I tried to convince him that I would pick this up. And how are they going to know that I dropped these courses? Well, I mean, he was in his state and mom was pretty well supporting him. So I, uh, I guess I was shocked by the reaction and I didn't have any kind of support system at the time and I didn't really have any other direction to go. So I kind of caved into them, and I stayed in the program, uh, the math uh, program at Waterloo. I would later switch the major to uh, computer science, that I, I guess, fulfilled their desire for me to get this degree. Now, that, I could look back and see that that was, um, I, I guess, not one of the, the real stages of life where you rebel against your parents and you do what you want to do. It would later come back to haunt me, and I will get to that later in my story as the time progresses. Now, during this time at university, um, I did have work terms in the cities, and uh, that's where I did come out of the closet. Now, I, um, I, I think because of what I was exposed to now, uh, you know, there was the family parties and the reunions, and I guess I was always around people who had this belief that you could only have a really good time when you were really drunk. And in the small towns, there's a lot of uh, that mentality as well. And I think because of what I saw happening to relatives, I resisted very hard against um, becoming alcoholic because I knew I had the, the emotional drive that I could be that way. And I, I guess it was strong will because of the uncle's example. And I'm grateful that my parents were uh, frank about what was happening with them. Um, so, when I came out, it was strictly uh, through the bars, and I got into the bar culture. This was around the late 70s and early 80s. And this would um, show me another compulsive side of myself. Now, um, it's not really an Al-Anon term, but many people in Al-Anon, or who have written about it, will talk about codependence. And that can mean different things. Uh, now, for me, I know, like, I never um, had any... Uh, physical or sexual experience with anyone as a teenager, but the yearning was extremely strong, especially for the age that I was at, and it would be sort of yearning for love and for the, the physical need as well. So I um, I would come on to people pretty quickly in bars. Now, I, <laughs> I knew I had a boundary. I didn't really want to go all the way with sex. I was kind of scared of it um, or, or doing that quickly. But I would sort of get people to take me to their homes, and um, 
there were some, I mean, I guess a lot of manipulation on both parts. And uh, in one case, I was uh, sexually assaulted. And, but then in an odd way, like, I, this was after we had become kind of close. And I, each of us ha- had a strong yearning. Now, I found out later he had also been assaulted in many ways, too, in his past, which uh, I guess makes sense. And... We, we were together for about two months, and it, it was a very intense love relationship. Um, we had very strong feelings for each other, but very different um, ideas about sex. I was kind of holding back, and I, I guess now I might be able to say that he was a sex addict. Um, now, of course, that was not part of the language back then. This was in the late 70s, early 80s, when the sexual revolution was still very strong, and... I started to feel very lonely about that because of where I was within it. Um, the, the AIDS crisis didn't come yet, and I, I think everybody, with, like heterosexual too, was just constantly involved in it. And I, again, I felt left out again because my standards and lifestyle were very different. Now, I would eventually sort of find ways of compromise, like once we got familiar with this term of safe sex. And, um, and that, that worked for me for a while. And physically, you know, I, I was safe and it was good, but I could see there was an emotional pattern that was somewhat destructive. Um, I was constantly going out to the bars. Uh, sometimes, especially after somebody dumped me, I would be going out and I didn't really have a need for sex. I think it was the need to be liked or to need to be accepted again because I was so devastated by being rejected. And... Um, you know, just in the surroundings constantly of the, uh, the loud music, the darkness, and the smokiness, and um, and everybody just standing around looking at each other. I know that has had an effect on me over time. <laughs> and um, if somebody gave me attention, now, you know, you've heard of the inner child. I know I have that, but I also had an inner Sally Field where I think, you like me, you really like me, and... <laughs> of course, it didn't matter whether I liked them because at that time I was not supposed to have an opinion, and that's all an Al-Anon trait too. Is uh, everything is about other people and whether they like us and what they think of us. And um, so I, um, I think throughout the years, you know, since then, it's. It, it, one time I did do something that was very unsafe, that was in 1984, and it was almost suicidal, and I, I think it was just out of the yearning and, and this, this willingness to cave in and please somebody, and I know that he had uh, been promiscuous too, and I, you know, I always knew there was this possibility. Now, six years later, that, that was the only year that I did something unsafe, and in 1990, um, it was a very lonely experience when I decided to go and take the test. I did not have any support system at all, which I would never do again. I would try and find one. But it, it turned out okay. I was negative. But um, but later on, I would, um, within another 12-step program, start to get a hold of this situation. And um, I'm doing very well in that program where I'm keeping away from the cruising scene and... Uh, and just finding in very simple ways that I can relate to nice men and, uh, you know, I, I can talk to them without trying to manipulate them into bed or making wedding plans. And uh, <laughs> it's like the program is one day at a time and easy does it. And if my higher powers plan for me to be with somebody, that'll come. And I'll just sort of 
enjoy whatever I can today in relating to people in a nice and simple way. Now, getting back to the university years and all this uh, work stuff, I did eventually graduate and I got my uh, math and computer degree. And um, then I went to um, Ottawa and I got a job at Bell Canada. And that was as a computer and programmer analyst. Now, my parents, in addition to other things, were, I mean, there's a lot of dysfunction and they good characteristics and, you know, that's part of the pro, or part of the, the whole program of them. Uh, they're also very radical right-wingers and I, um, tended to, I used to think conservatively myself and today I have this crazy notion that I might start another 12-step program called Adult Children Survivors of Parents Who Are Enthusiastic Supporters of Mike Harris, but, <laughs> I dropped it because the acronym was too long. <laughs> but anyway, um, sometimes I do get a little too intense about my politics and have to sort of sit back on that. Um, I uh, So in Ottawa, with this job, I found uh, there was a lot of intensity and I was reacting with a lot of fear and some, somewhat not feeling very grown up yet. And I, um, I did get a lot of help through uh, therapy, and I got involved in um, well, with this um, Hindu teaching. There was this uh, yoga ashram in Massachusetts, and it helped a lot with my healing. Um, there, then there were ways where I found it wasn't really working, and I was okay for a while. Now, when I started to get success in my life, of course, it was very intense again, and though I had to do everything at once and do all this healing, um, it, it was too much, and I was getting back pains, and things were, it, it was just too fast, where I couldn't even enjoy anything. My first year at Bell Canada, I realized, you know, I thought this was going to be interesting, this city life, but it isn't, and this this corporate uh, career is really not for me. That's when, I, I guess I mentioned that right-wing stuff earlier, because it was after working in a large corporation where I saw, I mean, my perspective changed, and then I went over to being very left-wing. Probably because of that, or at least for me, that was one of the bigger reasons. Um, so, when I realized it wasn't for me, I certainly liked the money they gave. I mean, there it was great. And I got this idea of starting to build a nest egg, where eventually I would take a sabbatical. And uh, I did well with that. I learned all these things about RRSPs and tax breaks, and was um, doing really well. I didn't live um, sparsely. I also had some great experiences traveling to um, some very cosmopolitan cities I'd always dreamed of going to, and uh, that was extremely fulfilling. Sometimes I think back on those experiences, and I, I still get the goosebumps, and I'm, I'm quite happy that I did that. Um, when the when the unhappiness in the corporate life hit, I started to at least take some uh, courses in theater. And I was involved with other personal growth at the time. I think it was still before uh, I got into Al-Anon. And there was one teacher who was that method acting, which was pretty intense. Um, he, the teacher said something which really helped me because there was this conflict. Um, you know, I wanted to do it and really get fulfilled in the, in the art side of it. But then with all this adult child stuff, there's all this yearning to be famous and yearning for the applause, and I could really grab onto that and miss the whole point of the inner fulfillment. 
And he said that there are many, he listed some names, and some of them were famous, and he said, these people do this not because of fame, not because of money, but because of personal growth. And if you keep the focus on doing it just for personal growth, you will at least be satisfied, because then you'll get something. There's no guarantee for the fame or the money. If it comes along, great, but if not, still keep the focus on the growth. And I decided to let that stay with me, and to just... um in whatever area of life, and, it's, um, and, and I'm quite happy I did. Now, when I reached, I think, a financial goal where I could have pulled the pin, I, uh, I was starting to realize I'm not emotionally ready. I am still scared shitless of what my parents would say or do. And as it would turn out later on, I was probably right to be scared shitless and had to be emotionally prepared for it. So there I was staying in this job that I hated, and by now corporate culture at Bell Canada and apparently everywhere was just going nuts. And um, I was uh, being very workaholic, you know, working a lot of hours, and um, I think being constantly being afraid of bosses, but then also being very resentful of the whole thing. And one time I really botched the project badly. And this was so odd for me because I was always good at work. You know, I always thought I was a social failure, but at work, that's what I do well. And when work failed, well, I was just nearly devastated. What is happening to me? Now, I had seen pamphlets uh, in Avalon. One was called, Did You Grow Up With a Problem Drinker? And there were 20 questions, and I answered yes to more than half of them. But at the time, I was still in kind of a state of denial about my father being uh, an alcoholic. Uh, you know, a lot of people are, but not him. But this is part of the family disease of denial that I was playing out. But when nothing else seemed to be working, um, I decided to um, check out the Al-Anon and go to one of their introductory meetings. And they say, go to six meetings before you decide. And... Things, I don't know, there was, there was a piece there, uh, something that it just seemed to really hit. And I, now there were no drinkers in my life at that time. Like then I was sort of the acting out workaholic, which is probably the result of, um, you know, having grown up in a dysfunctional family. But um, I, I liked it, and this analytical side of me wanted to make the connection. Well, how does this drinking thing have to do with my personality and all these characteristics? But another voice, probably my higher power, said, ah, oh, shut up and just go to the meetings. So I kept going and. Uh, <laughs> Um, there was something said there that made me realize this is the place for me. There was something I was ashamed of and couldn't mention. And people there said this is a trait of uh, either adult children or people who have been with someone for a long time who um, are actively drinking. And that is constant thoughts of suicide. And although I never made any attempts in my life, I think I've constantly lived with that. And... Um, so that was an inspiration to keep going back. And I love the way the meetings are. Nowhere can I have a place where I can talk uninterrupted, unevaluated, negatively that is, um, and, and know that nobody's going to gossip about it. And it's such a treasure and a gift. And it was interesting, too, because another so-called Al-Anon characteristic is trying to be the caretaker and analyzing other people's problems. And... When people would start to speak, this voice in my head would diagnose their problem, and I'd want to jump in and tell them what to do. But then I realized that's not in the rules, so I had to sit back. And I was glad for that, because um, in, in time I would see 
it's nice not to have to be responsible because I think I was driven by this need or this belief that I was responsible for other people's feelings and making them feel better and all of that. So um, a lot of success in the, in the program. I think um, one of the first signs was how when I went back to my family, um, I would not play my role of being sarcastic or, um, you know, pushing my view at people or taking sides in these intense arguments. My parents have always had an intense marriage. And I would notice that when they would see I wasn't playing my part, they would sort of calm down too. And um, and then that's one of the ways I, I think they say that Al-Anon works is, you know, you change and focus on yourself. And in some strange spiritual way, other people will change around you. And you'll also invite different people in your life too that are healthier. In 19, but when, in late 91, um, the work situation was ballistic and uh, I knew my own workaholism was bad enough, but I was working for a workaholic. And <laughs> you can imagine, and everyone around us was workaholics. And and this is in the field of computers, too, where I know it is quite common um, in that field. I um, it, it was just so awful. And so, now I know there are stories... Um, in Alcoholics Anonymous, where they talk about the bottoming out, where somebody really told them off and showed them what it was. And for me, um, because of the, this working situation, I had nearly bought some New Year's Eve plans with somebody, and he told me off. And because I was so constantly just around these Bell Canada dysfunctional people, I couldn't think any other way, because that's the way they are within the organization, too. They only think the Bell Canada way. So I was grateful to have this person from the outside world give me this wisdom that I was sick. And that's when it hit me. I have to do something. It's gone far enough now. And I knew the nest egg that I had saved away was big enough that I could take this sabbatical. So I took steps with a friend, like, okay, I'm going to do it. And um, so we just, I think there were about seven things I had to do, and I, I ended up doing it quite rapidly. I remember the exact date I gave the resignation, January 13th, 1992. And I'd already set up the meeting with the boss, and um, I, it was this blue book, One Day at a Time in Alma, and I thought, curiously, I just wonder what's on the page for today. And it was something about, we all deserve dignity in life, and we have to do the things that we have to do to take back our dignity, even if it means uh, stepping on people's holes or whatever, and... I can't remember exactly what it said, but it was just one of those weird spiritual coincidences where it fit exactly what I had set up to do that day. And thank God Alan Al taught me about being more peaceful with people. I can be very hostile, and my thoughts might be hostile, but when I had the meeting with the boss, and I think she knew it was coming, I, I put it on a person-to-person level, like not thinking Bell Canada stuff or speaking about Bell Canada stuff, but talking from human to human, and, you know, even pointing out to her, you know, well, hey, Wendy, you know, you might want to think of doing this too someday, and and she could see it in herself, but it was nice to have that. What was really interesting, now, I had to do this because my health and my life and my spirituality were just going to hell, but... There was an interesting thing about it, like everybody there was wrapped up in this, I guess, rat race where, you know, they'd all have houses and cars and I guess they, they needed the, the benefits and the pension plans and the big salaries of Bell and I just did it differently and uh, it shocked the hell of everybody. And 
after I resigned, four other people resigned within six months after that. So I don't know if I can take credit for starting a trend, but I'd like to. <laughs> so since then, it was another weird miracle where somebody called me up and said, oh, a friend of mine is uh, doing this play, and I know you like theater, would you like to do it? And, you know, this brought back to all that stuff about theater I mentioned earlier. So I did the play. And um, it was very hard at first because there were a lot of dysfunctions within the um, group, and uh, but we pulled through. And uh, I ended up doing more community theater in Ottawa while I was on this sabbatical. Now, part of me was still afraid and, you know, thinking all those thoughts. Uh, oh, but you should be having a regular career and a regular salary and a regular job. But the fact was the money was there and I could do these things. I also uh, took a course in uh, holistic healing uh, called Reiki, and another I saw in some books back there about it. And so I've done a bit of healing uh, people as well. I did a little entrepreneurial project in Ottawa before I left when I went to people's homes. Uh, when it became clear to my parents that um, I wasn't, this was not a temporary thing, and I was in fact going to redirect my life, uh, I should get the fan with my father because. I think, though he intended well, um, he, he was just totally afraid that, you know, my life would be gone if I, if I lived this way. And his control freak stuff was coming up, and my inner child was reacting to it, too. In fact, I was very sick for a few days and after I got a letter from him. But I wrote back and explained everything, and um, I, did, I wrote it in a way where he understood it. And then I found out that Mom had told him I go to Al-Anon, and... So then I wrote him another letter about that because I didn't want his interpretation of it just being my mother's, who might be quite blameful to him about it. And I, I know she kind of thought that, and I just needed to let him hear it from my viewpoint. And it helped me clear a lot of issues with him where I, I feel complete with him uh, so that if he were to die, I, I wouldn't feel there's any... There, there is some unfinished business, but I think because of the dysfunction, it's... It's as good as it gets. I had the same kind of experience um, when I decided to come out to my mother. Now, coming out to family members was, I think, what brought me to Al-Anon because it showed me how dysfunctional the family was. And I reacted really sadly to it. I, I guess, you know, we hear all these wonderful coming out experiences, like a major TV movie when everybody's also, you know, they, they all come through in the end. Uh, but in a dysfunctional family, it wasn't like that. And um, so first it was my sisters, and uh, they didn't give me the support I needed, and then I dropped it. But I did get that kind of support from some female cousins who are um, very, very much supporters. And then I decided I would come out to mom. Now, the, the, the evening I did... Now, she said her things, and I think I felt like I was five years old again. It's amazing how much the mother-child relationship can do that. Um, I, When I went to bed, I had to fight with my will all suicidal thoughts that were coming back to the surface, things that I thought were gone away, but it was very strong, and I think I realized just how vulnerable I really was. And letters between her and me were written back and forth, which just added to the intensity and it was very difficult. Now, I think eventually there were some resolutions made, and it can be quite peaceful. 
In the end, I'm glad that I did it, but um, I know there are a lot of scars and wounds um, from it, and uh, I, I think for the time being, like whether I come up to my father and my brother or not, is just something that I would surrender to my higher power. Uh, it's very uh, odd. But as it is now, um, through the theater projects, um, I think I'm, like with step three about surrendering the life to the higher power, I read a book called The Twelve Steps to Happiness, and I was inspired by this author's interpretation of step three, and that is what you feel inside is your higher power, and all that stuff that resists against it is just all the brainwashing of uh, governments or business or parents or teachers, uh, whatever churches. So um, listen to that, and, and I think like I, I really do surrender, and just what I want to do each moment, I let myself do that, and I've let go of a lot of burdens that I realized were unnecessary. I just didn't need to hold on to them anymore. And I um, I recently completed step four, and I realized uh, through that that um, you know I do hold back from people, and there's a lot of mistrust. I, I know too there was good reason for it, and I know part of my recovery has been that I had to ease out from my life people who were uh, very harmful to me. But to follow up on that, I need to also bring in people who are good, and I'm tending to procrastinate on that a little bit. But um, So I, I moved to Toronto a year ago. This is after, um, actually, through one of the theater projects I had in Ottawa, and it was just a strange coincidence. So one of them actually brought me to New York in the, doing the same production. And I spent two months there, and I was going to experiment and see what it was like. And uh, I I love the city and a lot of things there, but I knew it wouldn't be very practical for me. And um, I think from what I saw, the, the theater people there, it's, it's very driven, and there is this, I think, quick desire for fame. And um, I, I really loved our production and the cast in it, but there were um, a lot of tense situations, um, and, and it was wild. Like, there was one horrible fight that everybody had, which was like in those movies, like All About Eve or Bullets Over Broadway, and I, I always thought that was fictional, but then I was in New York and thought, my God, it's true, and while it was happening, I was in a corner saying the serenity prayer a thousand times, but um, anyway, that, uh, that I was complete with that, and um, I don't know what kind of life I'm going to have with regard to income, I don't getting a little bit of parts and extras in the movie here, movies here and TV, and um, I have yet to prepare a monologue and try the theater scene, and I'm also procrastinating on um, doing something with uh, the Reiki energy healing. But I'm also learning there are a lot of things I love about this city, um, and uh, there are things that I can do, even if they're not um, generating income, but I think I still have to come back and realize, you know, when you need it, it'll come to you, and you don't really need it right now, and you've got to learn how to have some fun. So there's so much to learn, and uh, as I say, I love the 12 steps. It's a very unique approach to life, and uh, totally different from anything that I ever learned in another spiritual program. If I miss a meeting, I don't have to go to confession for missing it. And... Um, <laughs> And it's, um, I don't know, that there's so much more to go on with, and uh, the, the keep it simple approach, and, and being very easy, and just learning to be easy on myself, and accepting that if life is happening this way, it's the way the higher power intended it to. I still have work to do on that, but um, 
I'm very grateful, and this is my first gratitude conference, but I, it was an honor to be asked to be your speaker, so thank you very much for listening. Thank you.